I'm Trillia Newbell, and this is Stories of Sacred Endurance, a podcast about preserving in Christ through the ups, downs, challenges, heartbreak, and journey of life. Every episode, we will talk to a fellow saint who can teach us something important about enduring in the faith. I am so excited to have my dear friend, Karen Swallow Pryor on the podcast today. She is a professor of English at Liberty University. She's the author of several books, and she's also someone you can look to to give wisdom and grace via social media and just anywhere you interact with her. I'm so excited to have you, Karen. Thank you for having me, Trillia. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking really specifically about enduring in the faith. And I want us to jump in by telling us a little bit more about your profession of faith. And because people, I don't know, you, I don't know if they know your background. And I think it would be great to hear it. Yeah, it's so funny because I'm old enough that I had a whole life before the internet, before everything was on Twitter and, and Facebook and so forth. And um, so, yeah, I, I all of that isn't necessarily available in the latest tweet. But I, I mean, I grew up in a in a Christian home and accepted Christ as a little girl and always went to church and taught Sunday school. But I don't, you know, my my faith wasn't really vibrant or real to me. I think I lived it in a kind of compartmentalized way until a couple things happened. I entered grad school at a state university where I really had to make a decision. Am I, you know, a Christian or not? Hmm. And at the same time, I was um, introduced to the pro-life movement through my church, through, first of all, through a crisis pregnancy center that came and shared what their services and their ministry was. And, And I just it's like the Lord lit a fire under me. I was just mm. so became so passionate about the pro-life cause, not just the unborn children, but just even the women that were, to me, clearly being exploited by this abortion culture that we had created in the United States. Because and so I ended up becoming, you know, basically a pro-life activist outside the clinics and doing media uh, interviews about mm. abortion, and that was a whole, you know chapter of my life for about 10 years where that's pretty much that that was the main thing that I did in addition to going to school. The Lord, the Lord used that to just Mm. bring all, show me how my faith should impact every area of my life. Mm. And so this was as you were attending school. So you were in college. Just want to make that timeline clear. Yeah. At this point, I was actually in graduate school. So um, I kind of sailed through college. I'd gotten married while in college, and we were going to a good Bible-believing independent church. And yeah, that's where that's where the crisis pregnancy center came, and 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 everything just in my life just sort of came together. Even though that's one particular issue, it's the issue that the Lord used to show me how all the issues are connected, and all our faith mm-hmm. needs to be integrated into everything that's going on. And from there, did you start teaching undergrad? How did you become a professor? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So <laughs> it's really funny too because when I entered graduate school, I entered just because I loved English and literature, and I had no plans of being a teacher. I mean, a te- there were two things that my whole life I had decided I would never be, and that was a nurse and or a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but when I got to grad school, I 
saw that all, most of the other grad students were teaching assistants and they were teaching the college courses. And so I ended up doing that. And the first course that I taught as a graduate student, my first composition course, I discovered quite accidentally, quite providentially, <laughs> that I was created to teach. I love mm. teaching. And so, you know, I, I finished up my PhD and went on the job market and got a job at Liberty University. And that was 20 years ago. That's where I've been ever since. And I just, to this day, nothing energizes me more than teaching. I love it. That is amazing. And it's it's really encouraging to to hear that it wasn't something that you thought you were going to be doing. <laughs> And yet, absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> and I know just watching you interact with your students, I know that you are passionate about not just your students, but the subject matter. And so what has kept you enduring through all those years you've been faithful um, in this day and age? You don't see a lot of people who are co- faithfully committed to something for very long, mm-hmm. but you have been faithful to many things. You have a husband of how long, how many years now? Well, not that we're counting, but 34 years. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing gift. So 34 years of marriage, 20 years in the same same mm-hmm. university. So faithfulness, I, I mean, it marks your life. And so I, I, and all of this while also serving the Lord. And so what has kept you so faithful to, to these essential, important things in your life? That is such a good question, and and it is one that I think about, and I don't think I've ever been asked to talk about it. So what a great um, topic, Trillia. You know, I do think I... There is one aspect of faith. I actually talk about this in my chapter on the virtue of faith and on reading well, and faith is a gift. You know, so in that sense, it does come from the Lord, and so I take it as a gift, and I receive it and feel it as a gift. I'm thankful that I have, you know, faith in the Lord, but also this kind of faithfulness that you're talking about. On the other hand, it is something that we can, you know, once we have this gift, we can cultivate it or not. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I work with mainly Christian students, young adults, and many of them are you know, they become dissatisfied or disillusioned by the church or the faith. And so I, a lot of times they will ask me, you know, about this, this faithfulness to Christianity, this faithfulness to the institution where I work. Mm-hmm. And part of my answer to them is about why I, why I stay, why I stay in, as a Christian, why I stay in the church, why I stay where I am. And I have seen a lot of other things. I mean, my life is not that you know, that exciting, but I have been in the secular university. I have been in rebellion against the Lord. Hmm. I have seen the other side. And even though this side isn't perfect, it is so, so much better. I mean, I have tried things my own way. Fortunately, I got it over with pretty young in my teenage rebellious years, but I have tried my own way. And what the Lord has for us is just so much better. I've seen it. And so that I think gives me a better chance of being faithful because I I have seen the other side and the fruits of faithfulness, even just having lived in one place, because when I was growing up, you know, we moved a lot for my dad's work. And when I was young and newly married, my husband and I lived in a number of different places like most people do. Mm -hmm. But now that we've lived in one place for 20 years, the roots that are established and the stability and the peace that comes Mm -hmm. with that kind of faithfulness, 
is just is is priceless. And so there are not that not that it, faithfulness will result always in in happiness and you know and, and a good life, but there are fruits that generally come from it, and it just takes time. Everything takes time, and mm. patience is another virtue that we cultivate along with faithfulness. Absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned that you did experience some rebellion as a young teen and how you've now been able to look back and say, oh, oh, what we see with Jesus is so much better and what mm-hmm. I'm experiencing in the fruit of that, because I think that's just going to encourage the faith of those who might be wandering and that there is there's something better, better for us. And now that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you can rejoice and, and proclaim it. And so I'm, I'm, thank you for sharing that. And it is something about stability. I, I think it's interesting that you, you, that you mentioned as, as kind of a stability that you have at home, because here's the thing we also know is that you're not immune to criticism or attacks. You are outspoken and people who follow you on Twitter, they, there's no real guessing about what you believe. You've shared, not everything, but there are topics that you've shared about. And people are, Twitter. <laughs> people are unruly. Let's just put it that way. But also, you've, you've just experienced some attacks. And so there's a part of me that feels like I might know this answer, just knowing that you have such a stable home and such a peace where you are. But, but what is it? that has kept you in ministry and, and how you, how have you survived when you've also experienced hate in a lot of ways? Let's just name it what it is. And so, and so I, I would love to hear how you've endured through those seasons. Well, you know, that, you know, <laughs> you describe it very well for anyone who hasn't <laughs> been out there seeing it. This is, this does happen. And, you know, it is disorienting and hard and, and painful, but not so much for me personally. And I've, I've never made this connection in my mind until you asked before. But, you know, when I was spending those years out, you know, protesting abortion at the clinics and having debates in universities about abortion and attending other kinds of debates, I remember thinking just, I was just confronted with the fact how there is a spiritual blindness that people are, you know, supernaturally spiritually blind to the most obvious truth mm-hmm. that's in front of them. And it's, it's kind of frightening. And so I think, I mean, when I see people attacking me who are, you know, not just disagreeing, but actually, I mean, there was a tweet put out the other day, you know, talking about me that, you know, people say that I'm an abortion rights activist, that I'm a feminist, that I'm destroying the church. And it, it's yeah. kind of funny because I'm, you know, I've been, it's just the opposite. It is just the I opposite. Anyway. Oh, but yeah. I realize that people really believe this. And I think, and so it's very horrifying to realize how easily deceived people are and the role that Satan mm. has in deceiving people and blinding people and using that to sow discord and hate in the church. Mm. That's what really concerns me. I, I'm, my life is not affected by people putting hateful tweets out there about me, but when they are misleading and deceiving people in a way that actually destroys 
the work that God is doing, you know, through my ministry and those that I work with and, and to glorify him, that's mm. really scary and, and sad. And we really need to pray against that. It is spiritual warfare. And it's also, you know, the teacher in me, that's the Christian in me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the teacher in me also gets a little upset because I realize that people are not, you know, they're not reading, they're not going to the original source, right. they're just clicking on headlines. And this really is something that is going to harm our civilization and that the church has a special call to fight against. So the church should be the last place where we find people taking things out of context, failing to read, not being able to interpret well or engage charitably. So Mm. there's some real problems going on out there, but I realize it's really not about me. It's about these larger spiritual and cultural forces that we're waging against. You know, that's so good. I thought of two things as you were speaking. I thought of Ephesians 6, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities. Mm. And, And so there is this ignorance, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say that. I think blindness, what you said was a better word, that we're not aware of how Satan is seeking to destroy us. And I think without that awareness, it's hard to endure. It's hard to endure through trials. And so I think, I think you're, it's good that you're, or I I would say, I think you have the right focus and that it, it isn't that people are, they're, they're being deceived. And then yeah. the next thing that you said that I thought, oh, this is good, is that we need to be truth seekers. We need to s- seek out the truth. What is the truth? Especially as those of the, the ultimate truth, <laughs> we need to yeah. we need to seek this out. And so, so those things, I guess, would you say then that just thinking biblically about what's really going on helps you to wade through any kind of the the suffering that you experience through the hands of others. Absolutely. That, that is, again, it's, it's, I I experienced this, this kind of attack, you know, when I was on the front lines of the pro-life movement from the pro-choicers, from the secularists and the unbelievers, you know, I would get coat hangers in my mailbox and Mm. placards on my car. I mean, it was, it was scary then and disorienting and what's different now, which is actually worse Mm. is that it's coming from people within the church or at least, you know, who profess Christ. And I I do think there are many in the church who are deceived. So this grieves me even more than the kinds of battles that I was waging with people outside the church, you know, a couple of decades ago, the, the, the sands have shifted and the battle really is within the church now. And so it's, it's much more serious and much more sobering. And that, that humbles me and that forces me to just really seek the Lord and rest in his principles because there's no way I could navigate this through my own thinking or ways. Mm. That's very good. And that should be an encouragement to all of us to seek him and seek his word so that we can navigate rightly and with the right Mm -hmm. frame of mind. So, Karen, it would not be, I guess, a a interview without talking about your recent terrible, well, let's just put it, you got hit by a bus. And that, (laughs) I was like, how else can I say it? And just so everyone who's listening knows, I know Karen well, so I can say it bluntly like that. But also, <laughs> but also yeah. I was here and I just, I can't, I still can't wrap my head around all that has happened in the last couple of years, but also this 
accident that was just could have been more tragic, but yet it was tragic. And you wrote an article in uh, Christianity Today right after it happened, I believe, about kind of relating it to sin. And Mm -hmm. would you tell us a little bit about both your accident and um, your frame of thinking and how you related it to sin? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it, it the the yes, yeah, so the accident happened in in your hometown, uh, yes. town, Nashville. <laughs> I was there for a meeting, and I was lost, and I stepped into a crosswalk, and you know, I don't remember everything that happened immediately, but I, I, I you know, the accident report says it was my fault, and so I think really what happened. I'm used to stepping in crosswalks around here, and people stop for you, and I stepped in a crosswalk there, and, you know, a bus was coming, apparently, that I don't remember seeing. Well, I, I'm sure I didn't see her. I wouldn't have stepped into it. And so understanding that it was kind of, it was my fault, and a split-second difference would have it just yeah. changed. It, it changed our, my whole life and the lives of everyone around me who loved me, and I just realized how sin is is just like that. I mean, yeah. just one little flip up can have the kind. I mean, you know, God God can erase so you know those spiritual and eternal consequences, but there are still natural consequences to our sin that we can just do one wrong thing, and it's going. We may not see all of the effects, but it does affect everything. Just like a stone thrown into a, a lake ripples out you know, for so long. And so I, I will admit that, I, yes, I was still in the hospital. I literally spoke that essay into my phone yeah. and texted it to my editor with the assistance of many drugs that I was on. <laughs> um, but somehow, it, it, you know, the Lord just just showed me that. And it's really one of my favorite things I think I've ever written. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it is. It's true. It is true that a split second, a split second decision to to walk in a certain way, can have drastic ramifications for your life and the lives of others around you. But in your case, you have seen growth. You have seen progress, and I think we can relate that to repentance as well. Like that, we aren't stuck. And as we're thinking about enduring, we're not stuck in our sin. We have a way of escape so that we don't fall into. But if we do, there, there we can repent and change and grow. How have have you seen that, or could would you see what I'm seeing as well? Oh no, absolutely. I mean, just as you were talking about how horrible this accident was and how unbelievable it still is to think about. And you were there, you know, um, just here I am, you know, a year later and the, the, I, I just marvel every day at the way God designed our bodies to heal yeah. and it's miraculous. And so he does the same thing for us in our spiritual lives and our sin. Like we can look back. I mean, it, it, it may take months or years, but he can restore us and he can, yeah. we can look back at some terrible thing that has happened to us and see that healing has taken place. And sometimes, I mean, in my own case, because of the physical therapy that I had to go through and my intentionality and healing, I'm actually stronger physically now than I was before the accident or, or, you know, in some ways. And so that's, that's a miracle. And God does that even more in our spiritual lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so how would you encourage someone who is listening and they are walking through, 
you have talked about various trials you've experienced, whether it's rebellion or it's at the hands of someone else or it's being physically hit by a bus, whatever. There's so many things. Yet you are um, a woman who is faithful, who's at peace, who has joy. How would you encourage someone who is listening and maybe they are They've experienced trials of many kinds. How can you encourage them to endure to the end? Well, I first want to say that I I want to confess that despite all of those things that I said and how peaceful and content I am, it is a struggle for me sometimes the anxiety and stress that I feel. And so it's not as though I, you know, I don't battle against those things because I, I, most of my stress and anxiety, I, you know, like most of us, I create it myself. I make it worse. So, you know, that is a struggle. And so it's a matter of really, for me, putting things in perspective. So sometimes just when I'm in a current stressful moment or month or year, to remember how God has brought me through something else, to remember how He did something miraculously and unexpectedly in my life before, how He is in control, how how the mind of man plans His way, but the Lord directs His steps. That's just my the verse that I cling to the most, that I can plan and scheme and stress, but the Lord is the one who is ordering everything for His glory. And it, it is it is hard. It is hard for me mm-hmm. um, to always remember that. But God loves us, and His plans are so much better than anything we could imagine. Yeah. And we are part of His story. It's That's not just good. about our stories. It's His story. Thanks for listening to Stories of Sacred Endurance. If you are enjoying it, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That will help more people discover and hopefully be encouraged by this podcast. And be sure to pick up a copy of my new book, Sacred Endurance, from InterVarsity Press. InterVarsity Press is offering podcast listeners 30% off the book through March 2020. Go to ivypress.com and use the code SACRED30 for 30% off and free shipping on your copy of Sacred Endurance. Thanks for listening.